0: Flags are an important part of any group's identity. For different nations, ethnic groups, and religions, they define who we are and help to create a common identity within such groups. Some of these flags, such as the British Union Jack and the American Stars and Stripes, are recognizable by practically everybody in the world. However, there are plenty of flags that come with a negative stigma. Some of these stigmas are due to current events and geopolitical tensions. For example, the flag of Israel, yep, already walking on eggshells here, has faced extensive criticism from neighboring Arab nations, as well as from Israeli Arabs. The presence of the Star of David, a Jewish symbol, has been linked to the alleged favoritism of Jews over other ethno-religious groups by the Israeli government, Other opposition to certain flags comes from the population of such nations. For example, the flag of New Zealand has been widely criticized by New Zealanders as it is almost identical to the Australian flag and contains a Union Jack, despite New Zealand's status as a sovereign nation free from British control. In 2016, a referendum to change the nation's unpopular flag narrowly failed other visceral reactions to certain flags are due to history arguably the most controversial flag in the world is the flag of nazi germany due to world war ii and the holocaust and by extension the swastika symbol carries a heavy negative connotation as well similarly but to a lesser extent The rising sun flag of Imperial Japan creates negative emotions for many, especially in nations such as South Korea and the Philippines, which were occupied by Japan during World War II. And then there's the rainbow flag, associated with LGBT individuals, which is opposed primarily by religious fundamentalists and other opponents of the LGBT community, but within the U.S., easily one of the most controversial flags is the Confederate battle flag. According to a 2015 poll, 43% of Americans, including 72% of black Americans, see the Confederate battle flag as a symbol of racism and or white supremacy. This is due to the history of the Confederate States of America, the nation that attempted to secede from the United States in the 1860s for the purpose of preserving slavery in the South. In spite of this, many Southerners see the flag as a symbol of Southern pride and continue to fly it. The flag has also previously been present within Southern state flags. In 2015, the flag came under extra scrutiny following the Charleston church shooting, in which nine black worshipers were murdered at a church service. The shooter, Dylan Roof, was a white supremacist whose social media heavily featured the Confederate battle flag. In response to the shooting, the South Carolina General Assembly voted to permanently remove the flag from the state capitol. During the 2020 racial unrest in the United States, Mississippi changed its Confederate-influenced flag, becoming the final state to remove the Confederate battle flag from its state flag. Notice how I've been specifying the battle flag this whole time. That's because the Confederate flag as most people know it, that is, the one with a blue St. George's cross with 15 white stars on a red background, was never the Confederate national flag. For most of the Confederacy's brief history, its flag was the Stars and Bars, which had three red and white stripes and a blue canton with 13 white stars in a circle. However, due to the flag's similar appearance to the U.S. flag, it could not be used during battle. Because of this, the battle flag we all know was used during combat. Eventually, a new flag was made by putting the battle flag on a white background... However, this flag was also unpopular because it looked extremely similar to the white flag of surrender. Just weeks before the Confederacy fell in 1865, a vertical red stripe was added to this flag, mitigating this issue. At the beginning of its life, the Confederacy had a very different flag called the Bonnie Blue. This flag, consisting of a white star on a dark blue background, was based on that of another short-lived, unrecognized nation. I'm going to tell you all about it, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 39th episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. Special thank you to Patreon subscriber Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. The land that constitutes present day southeastern Louisiana was first inhabited by the Marksville culture of prehistoric Native Americans. Then came the coastal Troyville culture, the Coles Creek culture, and the Plaquemine culture. However, for most of its history, southeastern Louisiana was populated by the Choctaw Nation. In 1528, the Spanish made first contact with the Choctaw. Following a series of deadly skirmishes, the Spanish abandoned the region without staking a claim. In 1682, the French established the massive territory of Louisiana, stretching from the Appalachian Mountains to the Rocky Mountains. Beginning in 1754, the French and Indian War, which was the American theater of the Seven Years' War, saw the British and French fight over their territories in North America. In 1763, the British won the war, and the French were kicked out of North America, under the treaty of paris the territory of louisiana was split up all land east of the mississippi river was ceded to the british while all land west of the mississippi river was ceded to the spanish who were allied with the british in exchange for the land west of the mississippi the spanish ceded the territories of east florida and west florida to the british East Florida contained all of present-day Florida, as well as the southern parts of Alabama and Mississippi. West Florida, meanwhile, contained the southeasternmost portion of present-day Louisiana. In 1783, following the American victory in the American Revolutionary War, East Florida was ceded to the U.S., while West Florida was ceded back to Spain as a show of gratitude for Spain's support of the U.S. during the war. In 1799, Napoleon came to power in France, and he began pressuring Spain to return the territory of Louisiana to France. In 1800, Spain reluctantly agreed to Napoleon's demands, returning the land gained in the Treaty of Paris to France. However, there was a misunderstanding over the status of West Florida. The French believed that West Florida was included in the cession of Louisiana, However, the Spanish claimed that the Cession was only of land previously controlled by France, and since West Florida was previously controlled by the British, the Cession therefore did not include West Florida. This dispute didn't really pose a problem since the French didn't really care about the disease-infested swampland that was West Florida, instead focusing on the more plentiful natural resources of the Midwest. But in 1803, this changed when the Louisiana Territory was acquired by the U.S. West Florida was included in the Louisiana Purchase, so the U.S. therefore claimed control over West Florida. Despite this, Spain continued to claim control over West Florida, stating that it wasn't France's land to sell. This dispute was further complicated when the U.S. government began encouraging Anglo-Americans to move to West Florida. The American settlement of Baton Rouge in West Florida grew rapidly. To assert its control over the territory, the Spanish established a military presence at Fort San Carlos, a military fort in Baton Rouge formerly known as Fort New Richmond when it was under British control. As the American population of West Florida grew, so did discontent with Spanish control. In 1810, a series of secret meetings were held by opponents of Spanish rule in West Florida. In September of that year, these dissidents established the Republic of West Florida. They declared the town of St. Francisville the capital, and for the Republic's flag, they created a new design that would be used by a more famous rebel nation in the future, the Bonnie Blue. September 23, 1810, Republic of West Florida Rebels, led by Philemon Thomas, stormed Fort San Carlos armed with rifles. These rebels engaged in a firefight with Spanish forces, and two Spanish soldiers were killed during the attack. After seizing control of the fort, the rebels hoisted the Bonnie Blue Flag, asserting the Republic's sovereignty over West Florida. Three days later, On September 26th, the Republic of West Florida officially declared independence from Spain. The rebels then marched eastward in an attempt to capture the cities of Mobile and Pensacola from East Florida. However, this expedition was repelled by the U.S. Army. Following the skirmishes over Mobile and Pensacola, the U.S. government began looking into annexing West Florida, President James Madison, who attended Princeton University in New Jersey, sent Orleans Territory Governor William Claiborne and Mississippi Territory Governor David Holmes to gather intelligence on West Florida. Madison's ultimate goal was to invade West Florida and incorporate it into the U.S., However, such an invasion would be illegal without congressional approval, and Congress wasn't set to meet again until December of 1810, three months in the future. Waiting that long, Madison feared, could result in the territory coming into the hands of Britain or France. On October 27, 1810, Madison officially proclaimed, quote, "...possession should be taken of West Florida." and American troops began mobilizing to invade the territory. In the meantime, pro-Spanish, pro-American, and pro-independence factions battled for control of the West Florida government. On November 7th, pro-independence judge Fulwar Skipwith was elected governor of West Florida. As Governor of West Florida, Skipwith was tasked with fighting a war on two fronts against the American and Spanish militaries. In late November of 1810, David Holmes and U.S. Army forces reached the eastern parishes of West Florida and began occupying these parts of the territory. They marched west, imprisoning West Florida rebels in each town they captured. By December, American forces had captured a majority of West Florida, forcing Skipwith to come to the negotiating table in St. Francisville. Skipwith argued to Holmes that, by tolerating Spanish rule over West Florida for seven years, the U.S. government had forfeited its claim over the territory. Instead of surrendering, Skipwith and a group of his supporters fled further east to Baton Rouge, where they took refuge in Fort San Carlos. On December 9th, Skipwith agreed to surrender to Holmes and his men, but his supporters in the fort, led by Commander John Ballinger, refused to come out. Ultimately, after Holmes promised that they would not be harmed or prosecuted, the remaining West Florida Rebels agreed to surrender. At 2.30 p.m. on December 10, 1810, the rebels saluted the bonnie blue flag for the final time as it was lowered, and Baton Rouge came under American control. However, the Spanish did not relinquish their claim over West Florida until 1819, when the adams onis Treaty solidified that West Florida was included in the Spanish cession to France and therefore in the Louisiana Purchase exactly 26 years after the final surrender of west florida the bonnie blue rose again as as the newly formed republic of texas adopted the flag on december 10 1836 the flag was soon replaced by the famous lone star flag but the bonnie blue rose once again in 1861. The flag was hoisted over the Mississippi State Capitol to signify that the state had seceded from the U.S. to join the Confederate States of America. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I certainly enjoyed writing it. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.